So we're in this, uh, not series, but sort of trajectory of fall um, to talk about the walk of faith. And I wouldn't say I usually, I'm going to take these shoes off, if you don't mind. It's kind of annoying me right now. Um, I, uh, I don't uh, usually know what I'm talking about on Monday or Tuesday of the week, but I just was like, Maybe a Sunday, I was like, I know what I'm talking about Sunday. And the title of the message this morning is The Faith of Grieving. And a couple of days ago, I was, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine that I talked to fairly regularly. He's in Dallas. But we were on the phone. I was walking through half-price books because when I want to uh, procrastinate, half-price half books is one of the places I go to procrastinate. Um, can stare at books that I might or might not read and, you know, not think about the things. And maybe Half Price Books is not your place, but it's one of the places I enjoy. And uh, so anyways, I was like talking with him. He, I was like, what are you guys, you know, getting into Sunday? And like, what are you, where are you going? And he's like, oh, we're starting a thing on, on joy and celebration. I was like, oh, that's funny. I'm talking about, gr- about the faith of grieving. And, uh, so opposite, opposite direction. And as soon as I said that, I was in the poetry section, and I saw a book of poetry that, that said basically poems on grieving, like that moment. And so, I mean, that may not seem like a big deal to you. That's, it's the way the Lord, like these little coincidences, little nuggets, is kind of one of the ways that God speaks to me. And I think a lot of people, um, even you see it in a bit in Scripture. And... And so I just have this sort of sense or faith or awareness that God wants to do something in the area of grieving to maybe reformulate some of our thoughts and conceptions about it. And this is, this is also September 11th um, time. Let me remember where you were. Yeah, remember right where I was. And the interesting thing about September 11th was just just profound grief and horror of what happened and something we should, you know, that it's good for us to still to grieve and think about. But at the end of the day, I, I looked up the numbers like, I think a couple thousand people died that day and I think like 80 500 people die a day in the U.S. And when moments like that happen, it, bring, it brought our country collectively into sort of this awareness of grieving acutely. But it's not as though death and suffering isn't already happening all the time. It's just a moment where we became aware. You with me? Like, like if, if a couple people died somewhere, it wouldn't be news, but the concentration of suffering allowed us to sort of, for a moment, collectively grieve and collectively become aware of the idea that there is dying and that there is suffering in the world. And so I, I want to explore... Like, I've wanted to explore faith 
over the fall from different perspectives. And I don't know, I just felt like the Lord put in my heart, start with grief, with the faith of grieving. And I want to give you context to where this came from for me. About a month ago, we were reading this scripture in our prayer time. And I'll read it to you. It's Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for thou they shall be comforted. How I many of you read the scripture before? Surely all of us probably. If you, if you don't join for prayer, let me say this. We, the Beatitudes is something that we read daily when we pray. And what I like to do whenever the person who's re- praying, if I'm, in a, if I'm in a place where I can talk out loud, when the person who is praying is praying, I'm muted. Just so you know, if you're leading prayer, this is happening on my end. I'm muted, and I say all these things, especially the Beatitudes out loud. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And when I read the verse this time, it just stuck out to me different. It just stuck out to me different. I remember exactly where I was. I was driving down the road with Andrea, and we were going to, we were going to uh, the. We just discovered, thanks to Ryan, that there was a uh, what's the word for that? Uh, a factory outlet store for Resistol in Garland, where they make the hats. And I was like, I wanted a new like straw cowboy hat, and we had discovered that they were selling them there at a discounted price. And so I was very excited to go to this, this particular outlet store. And so I'm driving down the road. We're doing that. I say the, say the prayer, and it sticks out to me. And as I, as I was reflecting on the words, they, they stood out to me differently. So like the, other, the thing that immediately stood out to me is that the other Beatitudes, they seem like qualities, like meekness. And a hunger and thirst for righteousness, or to be poor in spirit, or to be merciful. Like they seem like things that are sort of qualities of people, not just something that happens to somebody. And it does not say, and my second thought was, it does not say, blessed are those who are in situations that are worthy to be mourned about, for they shall be comforted. It just says, Blessed are those who mourn, and they will be comforted. And I had this immediate thought as we were praying that, that it's like mourning isn't just something that you experience when you're in a bad time. Mourning is like an acknowledgement of reality itself. Like there's a, there's a level of truthfulness about mourning. There's a level of realness about mourning. When we mourned that time at September 11th, it wasn't as if death wasn't happening the day before or the day after. It was a moment where we became aware that suffering is real. And as I I sat there, I thought every one of us in our faith journey, we mourn. And so I, I want you to think about this, that mourning is an element of mourning that's just an acknowledgement of what is real in the world and in our life. To, to mourn in life is to be honest in life. And to not mourn is to be dishonest. And so I was 
riding my electric bicycle recently. I feel like half my stories are related to it because it's, it's become not novel to me anymore, but it still reveals new things to me. And one of the great gifts about it is I get to ride through a lot of trees. And as I was, there's this new, I was going to this path um, and I was about to go, there's a, like it's been a detour, one of the bridges has been out, and I was about to go on this detour, and I got to this path, and I realized, oh, the detour, like I've never been, the detour's gone. And so I was like, oh my gosh, like, is this thing open? And I was like, it is open. So I got to go down this bridge, I've been going across streets instead of following this detour, and it was a cool experience. And this part of the stretch has more trees, and as I was passing by the trees one day, I just like saw those trees and I realized like as I was thinking about this passing of trees I was thinking about for some reason I was thinking about the passing of time and immediately I started thinking about the aging of my kids and my failures as a parent and my inability to actually go back and to be who I wanted to be yesterday as they are here today. And sometimes when you feel these things, when you, when you have something that brings you aware of life's failures, weaknesses, sufferings, you're like, I need to call my kids. I'm going to go take them lunch today. I'm going to do something special to make the day better. And maybe it was the grace of God, but in that moment, I didn't do anything to fix anything. I just mourned. I celebrated that they were growing. I mourned that there were memories that I couldn't experience anymore. And I mourned my own weakness in the process. And just on a little bike, felt the comfort of God. I had the same thing recently as I was thinking about the pastor, pastoring and how many times I've like, failed people like countless times I was just like all of them were just going through my mind and it's like the you know standard response is all right let's do better and we should but for a moment I just mourn um I've shared this before that when I feel like I get in moments that are pure reflective moments when I'm with the kids or I'm in a place where I like very much silence, I, I feel these simultaneous resonance of joy and suffering, like, like two wavelengths of sound, like singing in my soul. Like, I don't know how to explain it. When I get really still, I just feel, I feel both of these things. And I just want to keep saying this, but a life without mourning is a life of dishonesty. It's, it's not an acknowledgement of what everything in Scripture points us to. It's not an acknowledgement of what everything in life points us to. Is that there is suffering all around us. And there are things to mourn. Like There is a humility in mourning and being aware that you do not have the ability to control everything. Like, arrogance says, oh, I'm aware of a problem. Let me go fix it. 
Sometimes God wants you to fix it. That's a fair thing. But there is, let me say it in an addition, there is, a, there is a humility that just comes to God in mourning, aware that we don't always have the answers. We, we often have the impulse in pain to fix and not mourn. There are lots of things we can mourn we can mourn our hurt. We can mourn suffering. We can even mourn our brokenness and our weakness. And there's truthfulness to all of that. And so, so I just think about it like this, is that mourning is not just something that happens to you. It is a quality. Those who mourn will be comforted. And it's, it's a participation with a level of reality. It, and it isn't about how great a suffering that you have. It is not about if you have the story of incredible suffering. Every one of us, if we allow ourselves to, will see suffering and grieve and mourn. Have you ever, like, you can raise your hand. Have you ever met people that it feels as though they've never grieved a thing? Like, there's like not a depth of a... What, what happens with people who... who who never mourned or never listened closely to somebody else's suffering, is it like they feel very shallow sometimes? Like they're like they're they're missing something. And it's it's like there's a level of language and understanding and empathy and connection with people that it's like they just don't have because they haven't allowed themselves to mourn life. And like the counter thing is true that, that celebration, like joyfulness, becomes really hollow without the, with the absence of mourning. Like if you spend your entire life trying to figure out how to celebrate and how to just be awesome, happy all the time, like the lack of mourning will make your celebration hollow. It's like I get around, you know, I love to talk about sports, but there's a, there are certain groups of guys that get around and it's like, dude, we talked about sports the last 16 times we've hung out. It's like all we know how to talk about here. And what really happens when we get into that place of not mourning is you actually don't celebrate anything truly because in the refusing to mourn, the celebration becomes meaningless. So I, I have to start that mourning, with mourning there's an element of truthfulness, but I want to take us to that, that not only is there a truthfulness of mourning, but there is a faith. There is a faith of mourning. Matthew 5.4, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I want to read to you one of the best stories in the Gospels. And I say this, I actually think this is amongst the best. Um, in Matthew 16, this is uh, Jesus, the context is Jesus is telling the disciples that he's going to need to suffer and die, and here it is. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed and raised on the third day. Then Peter took him aside to rebuke him. 
I do think this is actually one of the best stories of the gospel. Like Peter decides he's going to rebuke Jesus, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned to, and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're an offense for me. You are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. So when Jesus is telling Peter and the disciples, like, I'm going to have to suffer, and I'm going to have to die, and it's going to be hard. Peter's like, that's not the road we're on. This is one of, you know, up and to the right excitement and joy. Peter is so determined that Jesus could not walk the path of weakness that he sat down to rebuke the Savior of the world and the God of all creation. He, see, his conception of faith could not allow him to acknowledge or, or even accept a path of suffering and death. Like, he had an imagination of what faith is supposed to be, and it did not allocate for the path that Jesus was going on. I think sometimes Jesus is within us grieving. And we're rebuking Jesus in the name of our own faith. Like Jesus is sitting down next to our pain and our brokenness and our hurt. And we're like, I trust in you, God. Let's get optimistic. Are you with me? You can have a conception of faith that actually removes you from faith. Optimism and faith are not the same thing. So grieving is not only truth, it's an aspect of faith. Matthew 5, 4 says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. When we mourn, when we mourn, we trust that God will do what? What will He do if we mourn? What does the Scripture say? Comfort us. So, I was heading to business trip the other day, and I had an Uber driver. Got in the car, could tell that like her car was like not running super well. Like the tires were really loud on the road, and and. Um, you know, you just notice little things. And then she had a Bluetooth speaker playing in the back because her radio was not working. And then the Bluetooth speaker started to die. And she was like, I'm so sorry. Like, you know, I haven't been able to fix this. You know, this is about to die. I was like, hey, it's okay. I don't need the music. We're fine, you know. And she was like, okay, thank you. And so uh, we just, you know, as the music stopped, we began to start talking. And so I just was asking about her life. And we were talking about driving Uber and asking her about where she's from, and she's Chicago, and I, I love Chicago. I meet a lot of people from Chicago, and I was like, oh, yeah, I know Chicago pretty well. It's like, where? She's, you know, we were talking about that, and she was talking about, like, how it's hard to get up there. And I was like, well, when was the last time you've been? And she said, well, two weeks ago, I, I drove up there for my sister's funeral. I'm like, your sister's funeral? She's, like, my age. And I was like, your sister's funeral? I was like, um, I'm really sorry, like, were you close to her? And she was like, oh, yeah. She was like, you know, one of my best friends in the world. Like, 
she was my she was my stepsister, but I never called her my stepsister. She, we were together since we were two and three years old, and and she's been like world to me. And she died in a car accident, like no no expectation of it whatsoever. I was like, I'm so, I'm so sorry. And so she she kept telling me the story about her sister and driving up there and was like just asking a few more questions and she she started to like you know she's got three kids kids are close to my age and and she was like you know my my grand my mom is actually trying to take the kids and she has cancer and also because they have us this her niece living with her who has mental disability because of that she got a record um, she did something where she got on criminal record and she was like, and my mom can't take the kids. And they just, the mom just passed two weeks ago. Their mom just passed two weeks ago. And, and, uh, and she can't take the kids. So all the kids have been separated into different foster homes. And all the kids are grieving. The mom's pretty much dying of cancer, trying to figure out the grandmother of the kids, trying to figure out how she can get her grandkids. And as she's telling this whole story, at some point she starts crying. And at some point tears like turn to, like she's really crying. And, and she stops in the middle of telling the story and she says, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry I'm crying. And, and I said, please do not apologize for crying. Like, this is like a really hard situation. And she was like, well, I just, the other day I didn't cry at all. And she's like, I'm just telling myself, I, you know, you don't have to cry. Like, don't cry. And she's like, some days I don't cry. And those are, those are good days. And so then we just, I was like, well, why is, it, why is it a better day when you don't cry? And what we got to was to have this conversation about how if you will mourn somebody appropriately, like that you get to cherish their memory. You get to enjoy their memory. But I know people who never mourn the loss. And what happens when you don't mourn a loss is that you hide from that loss. Mourning actually redeems the loss and allows that, those memories to be cherished in our minds. And when we share in our mourning, it, it allows us to, to embrace these things. When we don't mourn, we hide ourselves from that which we've lost because it's too much pain. How many of you have things in your life that are too painful to think about? I mean, is there any honesty in here? Anything that's too painful to think about? Like, and if there are things that are too painful to think about, maybe God's wanting to double-click on that and say, you haven't fully mourned on this. So Andrew and I, this is a weird turn in the middle of the message. Andrew and I, a couple years ago, we stopped watching movies because they're just too long in life. And so we started watching series. How many of you have made this transition? Okay, and then last year, I didn't think we watched any movies. We watched all series. And then series became too long. I just don't have the time for an hour and so now I can't even watch a series. So what we have been relegated to, the only TV that we watch, we watch an episode four or five days a week, 
is we watch King of the Hill. We are working through the entire catalog of King of the Hill. And 25 minutes of just like casual humor before you go to bed is, is great. And, and uh, there's this great moment in King of the Hill where, um, where who has watched King of the Hill at all? So there's this, there's, you know, Hank Hill and Peggy Hill, and they have their home, and they have their niece, Luann. And Luann's parents, she had a hard upbringing, and so she ended up living with them. And there's this, like, three-series-long drama of Luann's dream in life is to become a hairstylist, and she can't pass beauty school. And so this, this really significant drama hedges in the one episode where she fails her final test, and she comes home and she just bawls for 12 hours a day. And it's just, it's just constant bawling. And, and uh, Peggy's like, Hank, you got to do something about this. And so Hank sits down with Luann to have a conversation about emotions. And, uh, and so Hank says, she's just crying. And she goes, uh, Luann, I'm not, I'm not going to do a great Hank Hill accent, but we'll go for something. He says... Uh, you know, when life throws you curveballs, you know, there's two things you can do. Um, you can cry, which is the path you've chosen, <laughs> or you can not cry. <laughs> so, <laughs> I almost showed this clip. It's just so much. So, Luann's goes, she stops crying for a minute. She goes, you cannot cry? And he was like, yes. You know, try taking that emotion that you feel and hold it in. And <laughs> all you've got to do is swallow it down to this place in the pit of your stomach. And so she, okay, so she tries to swallow it, and she goes, Okay, she's like, are you supposed to feel some sharp pain underneath your rib? He was like, yes, that's normal. The, the body doesn't like to swallow its emotion, and so you take that pain too, and you swallow it as well. <laughs> she ends with saying, well, thank you, Hank. I, I feel really sick, but I don't feel sad anymore. The funny thing about it was the reason that they wanted her to deal with this crying is is just so inconvenient to have somebody crying. And there's sometimes nothing more inconvenient for us than mourning. Like we don't even want to inconvenience ourselves with mourning, much less somebody else. We'd rather take control and fix it Fix the problem. And I, this is the part that I, I want you to think about if you get anything this morning, is that sometimes in the suppression of our emotion, we have not just suppressed our emotion, we've suppressed our faith. Because what mourning says, what true mourning says, is if I mourn, what will happen? God will comfort me. Those who mourn, what? God comforts them. 
And so God wants us to believe that if we mourn, we will be, we will be comforted. And I think what a lot of us try to do is that we feel that that pain will be too much for us to handle. And so we just sit, we just try to avoid it because we don't believe that there will be comfort on the other end. That's the way of us taking control of our life. And I want you to get this. There is a difference between being sad and mourning. Sadness is something that happens to you. Mourning is when you come and sit down with your sadness in faith and believe that God will come and comfort you. Sadness is an event and mourning is a quality and an act. Sadness is a feeling. I'm sorry, it's an emotion. But mourning is something we do. Mourning is to approach sadness and to sit with it. I had this friend, I got to go recently to this partnership, business partnership we have. One of them is a mentor of mine I mentioned is the Jewish rabbi and then his, his uh, associate, also Jewish, and I went to synagogue with them and he was explaining to me the liturgy and his dad died when he was very young and when his dad, when your father's died, you're required in the Jewish tradition to pray a certain prayer three times a day to remind you of God's comfort and to remind you of the suffering that you're feeling. For like, I can't remember, maybe it's a couple of months. It may have been a year. And when we look at the story of Scripture, we look at the, both the New Testament church and we look at the Old, Old Testament, the covenant with Israel, they actually scheduled in mourning. They scheduled mourning in festivals, in moments, in times. And we have this conception that sadness is to be avoided and dealt with occasionally. But the reality is mourning is a proactive thing that we do by faith. When I listened to him explain that to me, I thought, my goodness, like he sat three times a day and prayed over the loss of his father, and what, how, what does that say about who God is? And, and reminding himself of who God is. Mourning is not just something we fight. We fight against it and then finally concede to it. Mourning is something we embrace with God. To mourn is to trust that God is faithful at His word. It is like faith. It is a faith equation. Like as simple as that. Those who mourn shall be what? Comforted. If you avoid the sadness that comes to you and you don't mourn, you take control into your hands and you're saying, I don't trust God to, suffer, to comfort me. Sometimes it's inconvenient to mourn and you still have to choose it. I think because we've conflated optimism and faith, we have, a, we have a more shallow faith. I think if we want to see God do miracles and wondrous things of great joy, we have to embrace the faith that says those who mourn will be comforted. We cannot have a faith that is constantly trying to fight every bit of sadness in this world and in life because sadness is one of the most fundamental things that people experience. 
We are looking to a day where all sorrow and, and sighing and all of that will flee away. But it is not the world we live in. And Jesus did not remove it on the cross. In fact, he embraced it, went into it, and walked through it. You are not fighting against your suffering, against the world's suffering. You are approaching it to mourn. We often try to use our faith to solve the problems of our despair rather than just mourn. Say it again. Mourning says, I cannot fix this, but God can. Let me tell you a flip side of this, though. Is that, because I, I really believe this is about, it's about a great bit of faith in community is about appropriately celebrating and appropriately mourning. Some people mourn to feel. Some people have had life in such a way that sadness is the only thing that lets, lets them experience the depth of reality. And so they sit down and feel sad so that they can feel real. And when you're doing that, you aren't mourning to receive comfort. Just like those who have become shallow in their lack of mourning, your mourning will begin to feel more shallow. You cannot let your sadness define you. You're supposed to be transformed by it. It is not the morning that I cling to. It is the God in the midst of the morning that I cling to. I've, I've actually done this. I've, I've, I've seen rooms do this where somebody shares something and everybody wants to feel that same level of depth so they try to share that same level of suffering. How many of you have seen that before? It's sometimes, sometimes it's genuine but sometimes it can be disingenuous. Sometimes we aren't mourning to be comforted. We're mourning to feel. And God is not want us. He didn't want us to do that. Okay, I want to mention another thing. I'm just hitting a few things at you. Sometimes in society, we try to rob people of their mourning. We try to rob people of their mourning. I, I was sat in a room full of, this is not, I want to explain this. I was in a room full of these people. This does not define my context, my upbringing, or my situation. But I happened to be sitting in a room full of people that were from some of very significant wealthy families. And I was, I was sitting there, and one of the common threads, it was a moment where they were all sharing about what's hard. And one of the common threads I could see is that they were not allowed to have suffering. Because no one would give that to them. One of the things that we do in robbing people of their mourning is we're trying to rob people of their very being. You hear somebody and you think to yourself, I mean, come on, you're like Hank Hill, like, come on, let's get over that. You're diminishing their being. And we do this to ourselves, too. Say, you know, buck up. Like, deal with this. 
Right now, if you're in a room full of people, one of the most common things in our society is that people establish their rapport and their being and their notoriety on their, on their history of suffering. It's like if I have suffered more greatly than you, then I'm more profound than you. I've even felt this before. In the very act of sort of like showing us, showing others the shiny object of our paths of difficulty, we often are robbing people of their own journey with suffering. And we're diminishing them. One of the most beautiful things you can do to genuinely mourn is to share a little bit in that moment. I felt sadness like as I was listening I, I never assume that I can understand. That's a terrible assumption. You don't understand anyone's suffering. Not even those that are most analogous to you. Even if you've had six of the same life events, it's not the same. But what you can do is share it a little and at least not diminish it. it does this make sense? Like, I do this, I'm like, you know what's funny? This is crazy. I had this thought this morning. I never think, maybe God just wanted to reveal my weakness so that, like, <laughs> I had this thought this morning. I ne- hardly ever think about the numbers of people here at ClearPath. This morning when we were sitting in worship, I had this thought of, like, it kind of bothered me that there weren't that many people here. And my instant thought was, that's, you know, yeah, just get, get that out of your head. And I was like, you're literally about to tell people just to more. And so I sat there and I thought, okay, God, I feel this. I trust you. Feels insignificant to me, but you can comfort me. How many of you tell yourself there's something too insignificant to mourn? When you do this to yourself or others, you're diminishing like your, your existence. I don't know how to say it more profoundly than that. Like you're diminishing yourself. Now, I'm just going to add like a bit of nuance to this. It doesn't mean that we have to embrace every narrative that someone believes that they're mourning about. People can be completely incorrect and complete, believe some completely false narrative and think that they're suffering because of this and it not be true and their feelings simultaneously be real. As a pastor, I don't have to sit down and when somebody tells me something, I don't have to sit down and say, that is hard, they shouldn't have done that to you. you don't, I don't have to sit down and validate a narrative. But the feeling is real. This makes sense. You you can like you can you can very easily do this to yourself and to others. You can sit there and say, they shouldn't have that feeling based on those circumstances. And then validate the totality of their grieving, where in reality, all you have to do is just share and listen and recognize and at times help alter that narrative by saying, maybe this isn't as though you're thinking, this isn't the right way to think about it. It's actually okay to challenge people. 
What did, Je- what did Jesus do when Peter's like, we're not going down this path? He double rebuked him. He rebuked him back. Like, it's okay to challenge narratives. It's not okay to not acknowledge that somebody feels. Okay. I have a few particular uh, calls like I want to give this morning, like for us to pray about, think about. Uh, the first one is that I feel like as a church, I don't know how to do this. I feel like as a church, in our prayer, our worship, our teaching, our all the things, our communitying, I feel like we need to find a way to, appro- to approach mourning with more regularity and more intentionality. And maybe, like, we're praying for those, we've been praying for those that have suffering to be able to find safety here. Maybe we actually have to be able to make a space for lament to find those who need to lament. I don't know how to get there. I'm just telling you, that's what I sensed when I was, like, working through this in my mind. I'm going to tell you something that happened to me this morning. Happened to me, that's not the right way to phrase it. Last night, how many of you know Becky Griggs? Um, Becky, a couple years ago, I, don't, I will almost never share these kinds of stories, but this is what happened, and so I want to share it in this context. She's ministered at a body for a decade. We've known her since I was 20, 20 years old. She gave a word that really changed my life personally, and so we've stayed in touch for many years, and life has its ups and downs, and her husband got, um, you know, he got Parkinson's, and before that he had gotten um, Alzheimer's, and so they've had a lot of suffering over the last couple years. They had had brought a pastor into their home to, to let him live there for a while, and I just, I almost never share these kind of stories, because, but I'm sharing it just for context. They brought this pastor into their home to live with him for a while, because he couldn't financially afford something for his family. And what ultimately happened was he moved on, and whenever they got into this place of suffering, they didn't ever get checked back in on. And so they ended up, Becky ended up praying weekly, and then she ended up part of one of the shepherding groups with Chandra, Susanna, and Shirley. And she actually... She talked about this like, man, this is my community. Like, I found these people. And I was, like, at a place in life, I was so grateful where I would talk to her every month or so, but wouldn't, I didn't get a chance to talk to her on a weekly basis. And I know that this group had been caring for her and just, like, watching out for her and, like, were involved. Last night, her husband did pass. And... And I wouldn't, I'm not on social media. They put it on social media. And so I heard this morning through uh, prayer that she had passed. And so I texted her and I was like, can I, can I please talk to you for a minute? If, you, if, if not, it's fine. And so we talked for a minute this morning. And, and I knew that they had a financial difficulty over the past couple of years. And, and I, 
I'd already talked to a couple other people about this, but I said, hey, I want you to know, like, we're going to cover, church is going to cover um, the expenses for you guys to have a funeral. And, and you know, she, she broke down. She started crying because that was like a heavy burden. And I thought to myself, like, um, like how much we just need, like, we need people to share the burden with us a little bit. And so part of what I want to share this morning is I was like, we were talking about grieving, and I was like, we've got a person who is part of our body, I would say. She's, she's grieving. She's going through this time. And let me just say this. The church can financially cover their needs, but I wanted to give the, everybody here a chance to give financially if you and I'm going to tell you like as straight as I can say it, if one cent comes in, we're still going to cover the whole amount. But there is something about engaging practically with the suffering of others, and you can't. I mean, not every one of us can call Becky and have a two-hour-long conversation, but we can engage with with the suffering of a widow right now. And I, I knew that they wouldn't be able to cover this, and so at the end of this. I want to give us a chance to respond financially to a need. And I think this is important because we tend to like to give financially to things that are going to bring 10,000 people to know Jesus or is going to solve some sort of big problem. But I think sometimes our best generosity looks like the woman pouring out the fragrance over Jesus' feet that everybody else felt that it was not worthy of that. And so I, I want to mention that, that I want, like, as a step of, like, okay, how can our community pursue mourning? This is somebody who's mourning currently. Here's a role that we can play in it. The other thing is, I want to give you a chance to reflect on this. Um, two, two prompts for you to pray about for a moment. Um, I, I want us to pray that God would allow us to look for people suffering and to share it. He would allow us to look for people suffering and to share it. Sometimes we're projecting our own mourning so much on people that we're not actually looking for people suffering. And I, I just want to, like, this one prompt, I just, I want us to look for people suffering and share it. I had a friend recently who came to me and he said, he said, I want to grow. We were talking and He's not a believer, business guy. We have conversations. And he was like, I want to grow in empathy. That's like the one thing I want to grow in. And I was like, well, let's talk about that for a little bit. And he was like, you know, like my dad wants me to go take care of some of the employees we have, get to know them. And he's like, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't want to. Don't care to get to know them. I was like, well, that's honest. I appreciate the honesty. We're okay. And so I said, why don't you do this one thing? Why don't you, if you want to grow in empathy, why don't you go ask them, take them to lunch, and ask them one thing they're struggling about with right now. Something they're struggling with. If there's anything that will grow you in empathy, it's hearing people suffering. And so, like, he called me and was like, hey, I did that. You know, like, I, and I just, I feel like if we want to grow in love, figure out where people are hurting. 
You don't have to be with the homeless people to find the suffering. We have this super major delusion about the Christian life that we need like all of these pieces to fall into place in order for us to do it really radically. It might be the most freaking debilitating thing for Christians that we think we need something in our world to change in order for us to be loving every day. Go find people suffering. Share it. Listen to it. You got people in your home, in your own heart, in your around you. If you ask them, if you ask yourself, you'll find it. I'm sorry, this is a lot. This, this, the second thing I want to open to is that I believe that there are some that have become so attached to the sadness of the morning that we cannot come into the faith of the comforting. We've allowed the sadness to not transform us, but to define us. And we've allowed the sadness to be our grip on reality. I feel like for some of you this morning, I don't think this will happen in a little instant magic prayer. I feel like for some of you this morning, God wants to move you to a, not, not just from sadness, but to actual mourning and from mourning to comfort. Are you with me? Sadness happens to you. Mourning is something you do. And in mourning, as we do it with God, what happens? Comfort. Mourning should happen regularly. It's not, we don't graduate on to the comfort season. It's not like we're like, okay, I'm okay over in the comfort season for the rest of life. Mourning is something we approach, but when we don't approach mourning in a regular, intentional way, what happens is we just get overwhelmed by sadness. And we never move to comfort. So, I don't know how we do this. Maybe just, like, let's close our eyes for a moment. And I just want the Holy Spirit to speak to us. I feel like there may, I feel like that even as I speak, like there's a fence that's even being brought up even like in the words, like this sense that like God wants to move past the offense and he wants to help us to mourn. He wants us to help us to mourn with others and he wants to help us to mourn. And I just want, let the Holy Spirit speak to you for a moment.